There are a number of attributes that I don't think we fully grasp about the nature of God. Attributes that at face value, when I begin this sermon, you're going to say, oh man, I've heard, I've heard this sermon a thousand times. But I want to take you to a part of God's character that I do not believe we give careful consideration to. But one that is so necessary, one that is so needed. A sermon I've entitled, A God Who Cares. When we get a revelation, how much God really cares for us. Not us as a ministry, or a group of organized believers. We understand that God cares. It changes the way we live for God. Changes the way that we believe. Probably best illustrated by an old poem. Many of you know this poem. Many of you probably don't know the history. But it illustrates the nature of what I want to say tonight. Footprints in the sand has been seen in print by the world for over probably close to a hundred years. All that the author was known about the author was it was credited to an immortal work and the author has always been named anonymous. It turned out that the author was a woman named Mary Stevenson Zangier for many years had handwritten copies and distributed by Mary to those who needed some kind of comfort at the low points in their life. It was her goal and desire to release to these people a caring God. Mary wrote this poem first in 1936, but could never prove it. In 1984, while cleaning out her garage to prepare to move to a new home, in a small suitcase amongst her other poems, she rediscovered a very old handwritten copy that she thought was lost, it was dated 1939. She believes that that had already written, been written for three years prior to that, but in 1984, she took it to the U.S. Copyright Office and she was awarded a seal of authenticity to the poem Footprints in the Sand. The entire poem is centered around a caring God that through difficult times in life, through struggles in life, we really do have a God who cares. One of the most amazing qualities that has to be understood by the people of God is that there is a God who cares about your situation. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about your struggles in life. This is a valid subject and something that has to be understood. The text that I have chosen is that of 1 Peter chapter 5, 
verse 6 and 7. It says these powerful words, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting your cares upon Him, because He cares for you. There are three extremities I want to take you to today. In the early part of my ministry, busy in the ongoing affairs of building a church and building a ministry and desiring to make impact, there was a particular time in that ministry where lack was overwhelming. There's no doubt that every one of us at one point in our life or another have experienced lack in some area of our life. And what was so interesting was not just that God cared about the lack. My young little daughter had a very interesting need. She was eight years old and she wanted to join track, may have been 10, I'm not good at all the years there, but she was in the early elementary days and we had just moved to Chinle and she wanted running shoes. The running shoes that she wanted, anyone who's bought running shoes knows where I'm going, they were a hundred dollars. That should have just as well been a million. I told her, well, Eric, I had a hundred bucks for running shoes. You know what? I, I can get them, but not now. Well, dad practice starts in just a few days. So we have no stores in Chinle, Arizona. You do not have no capability of processing that. <laughs> that, that no stores. You couldn't buy a pair of shoes there unless you bought them at the, mark, the flea market. There are no stores. Closest Walmart's 100 miles away. We have no mall. <laughs> we got a grocery store. If there's no running shoes in the grocery store, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Anyhow, I went to the flea market looking for shoes. And she said, oh, Dad, I cannot wear used tennis shoes. If you ever see me go like that, that's my hidden signal for thank God that I am not a girl. Okay, okay, no use tennis shoes. And she began to cry. Tear out the pastor's heart. She says, Dad, maybe we can pray. Won't you listen to me? So we prayed. I got a phone call the next day and I was asked to go pray for a lady 70 miles away. She was not of the commonwealth of the Navajo Nation. She was a CEO of the Navajo Communications, which is our phone service. You guys have AT&T. We have Frontier Communications. Anyhow, I didn't even hardly have money to get there. So I mustered it up enough money for gas. And she said, I'll feed you lunch and I'll get you some gas but I just need you to come here. So I drove to her house, very nice home in the mountains. And the first words out of her mouth were, before you pray, I'm probably never going to go to your church. 
That is a wonderful way to address the preacher that just drove 70 miles. And then she says, by the way, I don't even think I believe in God, but everybody talks about prayer for the sick and that people get healed when you pray. And, and you know what? I'm kind of desperate, but I, you know, just pray for me and we'll eat. So I prayed for her. I said, do you feel better? She says, I feel worse. I'm having a bad day. Then she said, it's time to eat. I'll just kind of yell. Okay, we tried. And she pulled out a plate of apple slices and hummus. I'd never seen hummus in my life. And I'm looking at all this strange food and I'm thinking, you know what, man, whatever, let's eat these apples and that little dip, whatever it is, nasty. Anyway, we ate, and all my kids are there, and, and I'm leaving. And as I'm walking out the door, I load up all the kids, I get in the car, and out she comes. Pastor, wait, wait, wait. And I said, you got healed. She said, oh, no, man, I'm struggling. I'm going to the doctor. She handed me an envelope. I grabbed the envelope. She said, don't open it till you get home. Never tell that to a Mexican. <laughs> so I set my mirror, you know, just so I could see her house. And then I thought, you know what? The moment she's out of sight, I'm opening that envelope. <laughs> so I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I can't see her house no more. I'm going down the little mountain there. And I told my wife, open, open the envelope. You, you, you said you were going to wait till you got home. No, no, that's what she said. I didn't agree to that. Just open the letter. I'm thinking, you know, what is in there? I open the letter. I want you to hear this. Said, Pastor Aragon, my deepest thanks for you coming all this way. But as you were walking out the door, a loud voice spoke to me. And it scared me. It said, put a hundred dollars in an envelope because Pastor Aragon's daughter has a need. The lesson that I learned from that was that God even cared about my daughter's shoes. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is why this sermon has to be preached. Cast your cares upon the Lord because He really does care for you. The extremity of God responding to a child. The second extremity. And I was telling some of the guys at lunch, and I don't know if they even believe me, but it's true nonetheless. There are no stores and no houses to rent where I live. And then if you're not Navajo, you're in bigger trouble. So my first house didn't have a kitchen or a bathroom. Never complain how you get lunched out. So anyway, I'm in this house, and you know, we do the best we can to make it livable. We get a bathroom in it, we get a kitchen in it. 
And uh, it's rough. We live in it for nine years. So an evangelist comes to the Chinle one day, and he calls out my wife. Thus saith the Lord God, he is going to provide for you a beautiful home. I left the service, and I started collecting shiny stones. I was going to stone the preacher. Now, this will be a good miracle. There are no homes. Well, you know, he's got the wife all stirred up. She's bawling. I'm not bawling. I'm saying, dude, you are missing it. Stop it. Shut up. Leave her alone. You go home. I go. I gotta. I gotta sleep with that woman. Just leave her alone. And after church, I have to go feed the preacher. In them days, we had three choices. You know, you, you got to like Burger King if you're living in Chinle. However, we have a Denny's now. Same lousy service, same terrible food. But it's open 24 hours, so it's even bad it's good there. So anyway... Afterwards, the evangelist says, you don't look too happy. I says, brother, in the morning, we're driving around. Since how God told you, Miles going to get a new house, did he tell you the address? Because the closest nice house is the mayor's house. I don't think we're going to get that one. And we have a lady in our church that has a nice house, but I don't think she's going to give up that one. And there are no, just show me, did he give you an address? We don't even have street signs there. I mean, this is rural. I said, can you just point, even, even a neighborhood, anything to give some kind of indication that the Lord's going to give my wife a house? Well, the problem got worse. About three weeks later, we're driving through a city there near Chinle in Farmington, New Mexico. We have all these beautiful, overpriced mobile homes. And my wife sees this beautiful house, and she says, honey, that's my house. And I looked at her, and I thought, i got to heal this woman. So I turned right in, and I asked the salesman, how much is this house? He says, that's $88,850. There, that is not your house. Let's go. <laughs> no, that's my house. I said, that's not your house. So you know how salesmen are. I said, I don't want to fill out a credit app. I don't even want to. You know what? I don't want to, you don't need to know nothing about me because I am a looky-loo. <laughs> so six months later, the house is still there. Seven months later, the house is still there. My wife says, would you turn in there and please go and negotiate on my house? Long story short. About 10 months later, the house is still there, and when they saw me come in, they were shocked. Are you the, that preacher? And I said, yeah. We can't give this house away. I said, yeah, you can. You can give it to me. <laughs> and he said, uh, how much can you muster up? I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go to the bank, and I'll see how much they'll approve me on to buy that house. And they approved $60,000. $30,000 less than what they're asking. And two months later, they delivered that house to Chinle, Arizona. God cares about how we live. A few weeks ago, 
That's been Father, Mother's, Father's Mother's Day last year. A couple came to me from a mega church. Okay, a mega church. He was a white guy. Real nice looking guy, real pretty wife. And they came in and, you know, you, you stick out in Chinle when you're not Navajo. So yeah, I could see him, you know, from a, you know, a whole, I could see him right there. And, and he was nervous. He's kind of squirming, you know, 250 natives here, you know, and, and, you know, he doesn't know what they're thinking. And, you know, I finally told him, hey, man, don't worry. They're not going to fight you nothing. It's going to be okay. What are you doing here? Who are you? And he said, Pastor, I came from Farmington. I drove two and a half hours to come to church. I heard you pray for the sick. I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, I need prayer after church. So after church, I asked him what's wrong. He says, I'm 28 years old. I'm a newlywed. We can't have a child. We went to the doctor. I have a zero count. The doctor told me I'll never have children. They're attributing it to steroids. He's a bodybuilder. So I prayed for him that day. It was Mother's Day. Well, let's fast forward the tape. On Father's Day, they delivered a beautiful little girl. The third extreme there is God cares about people. He had no reason to help them other than the fact that he's a God who cares. They casted their cares upon the Lord because God cares for them. The first thing I want to talk about is the unmistakable quality of a caring God. The text says that He cares for you and this must be understood. I have come to learn that His care is not based on merit. You don't have to earn this. God's care, beloved, is not based on how well you're doing or how much you know. His base, His care is based solely on His love for you and I. This has to be grasped. This has to be understood. His care, beloved, is unconditional in this passage of Scripture and He lays before us one form of instruction. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Matthew 9 and 36 tells us that he cares about our personal condition. And I don't want you to miss this. But when he saw the multitudes, Matthew 9 36, he was moved with compassion on them because they were fainted and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. This passage of Scripture gives us understanding concerning His care for our present condition. When He sees how you are living, you have to know that there is a compassionate God seriously at work in the affairs of your life because He cares how we're living. We put so much on struggle. So much on difficulty, so much on failure and lack and 
all that goes on in the kingdom of God. We miss this. He was moved with compassion. And the word will give us great understanding into the nature of God. Properly defined, the word compassion here is care in action. It is a focus and a concern, caring enough to do something about it. This is more than caring. Everybody cares. Compassion is caring enough to respond in the affairs of our everyday life. We have to know that there's a God who is moved on the behalf of how we are living. It is a compassion that has to be understood. It's interesting to note that he sees that they were fainted. This is an interesting word. It means he sees that they're imperfect. If we are not careful in the kingdom of God, it will be solely for the survival of the fittest. Only the super spiritual, only the super strong, only those who reach some type of strange euphoria. And you know, it is no no license to think we can live lower. But I will tell you this, that God is moved by the imperfect, by the weak. He's moved by the weary and the struggling. He cares about our condition and all that we are going through. He cares about the offense. He cares about our present situation. He sees that we're fainted. He sees that we're scattered abroad. This means living in disorder. Maybe in chaos. Living in a time of our life, beloved. Maybe it's a time of sickness or a disease. In my case, it was a time where we were without. I was absolutely staggered and I'm still shocked to this day. That was a paradigm shift in my ministry when I watched God Almighty reach down and meet the need for my little daughter. I am still staggered. Every time I walk into my home, I am absolutely Floored every time I see the miracle hand of God at work, it is triggered and released because He's a God who cares. This cannot be missed. In fact, there's nothing that brings conversion, nothing that brings devotion and commitment faster and more intense. You ever tried to teach people to be committed? I, I mean, to tell you, that is like chasing a dead horse. But you get an individual who God has met their needs, whom God has touched by his power, a God who has visited them on a per- personal level. And I'll show you someone with gratitude and devotion and absolute response. He sees that they're scattered. He cares about what's happening in our life. He cares about our burdens. He cares about our dealings. He cares about all that we are carrying. He says, I care for you. The text speaks of one instruction, and that is to cast our cares upon Him. I see that couple from time to time with the new little baby. 
there glowing. They went back to their mega church. This don't happen every day. And the pastor heard the story and said, can you tell the whole congregation that? And they stood up. <laughs> can you imagine being in a mega church? We went to an Indian reservation church called the Potter's House. Can you imagine how that went down? And a little short preacher prayed for us. The instruction is casting our condition upon the Lord. It means to take all of our worries, all of our stresses, all of our daily struggles, all of our lack, all of our needs, all of our anxieties, and place them at His feet, knowing that He cares. Put them on Him. The term care in this passage of Scripture. A careful study, you'll find out it's the word for mercy and grace. God is saying, cast your cares upon me that I might trade it for mercy and grace in the time of need. I have learned through the years that we must put this on Him. Put all of our cares upon Him. Put all of our lives, our mind, our thoughts, our anxieties, everything that is bothering us. We must put this at His feet. We must symbolically take it to the altar of God and say, you know what? I cast these cares upon you. This is the condition that God responds to. The gospel is full of stories from cover to cover displaying God's care for people. I think of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus being blind for a long time. He was famous for his blindness. Standing at the roadside begging. He casted his care upon him. Now, why that takes so long, I'm not totally sure. But that day, the text is clear. The story is so profound. He heard that it was Jesus and his disciples, and he began to cast his care upon him. Lord Jesus, Son of David, I need you to come here. We all know the story. He stood still. And Jesus healed his condition because he cared that that man would see again. The woman with the issue of blood. I've done a lot of study on that particular verse. I've always wondered what the word issue meant in the Greek. Well, guess what it means? It means the issues we carry. And the text is so interesting. It said she had an issue of blood or she had issues with blood. For 12 years, she carried it. She spent all that she had. She'd gone everywhere. Till finally, she says, I'm casting this care upon the Lord 
She fought her way through the crowds. We all know that she was considered a leper because of her uncleanliness. We all know that people stayed away from her. We all know that she was an outcast, but she casted her cares upon him. She touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed that very moment. Issues of life, the issues we carry, do not have to be defining moments of our life. They must be cast upon the Lord because He cares for us. Hannah and her barrenness. Unbelievable story of barrenness. She hated her condition. She hated being barren. If you read the story of Hannah, she struggled with that for a long period of time till finally she decides, I'm casting this upon the Lord. And we all know the story. She went before God in prayer and she laid it all out and they thought she was drunk and she poured her heart out before God. She casted her cares upon Him and the Spirit of God responded, casting our cares upon Him. Because he cares for us. We find lastly. The releasing of God's power. What really needs to happen in an individual's life. Whether it be a new convert. And especially true in longevity. There has to be an experience of the supernatural power of God to meet our needs. Through the years, I've seen the unbelievable hand of God when you cast your cares upon Him. It can be small, it can be large, but you have to understand that God cares. The clear instructions that are found in our text how to make it all happen tonight, how to release the power of God in our personal lives is defined in one word, humbling yourself. Through all the years that I've been saved, I've never heard a clear definition of the word humble. Is that the way you hold your mouth, the way you hold your eyes? I remember the late... Jesus Becerra used to say, how do you humble? How do you humble? But it all hinges on that. So through careful study, I've come to learn that humbling ourselves before God simply means to see your own need. To see your own condition. See, we really are professionals at hiding that. We are professionals that won't deal with that. We are absolutely bent 
Uh, you know, whatever, call it whatever you want. We're not going to let anybody see our dirty laundry. We're not going to be honest before, because of our condition. You know what, whatever, we don't do that. Our culture doesn't permit that, whatever. When you and I will see our own need. I think of the dumb little tennis shoes. When that little girl presented her need. When I saw that couple face value, you'd never think they had a problem. Both bodybuilders. She was beautiful. This handsome, muscular guy. You'd have never thought. But think about that humility. Think about what's going on in that man's life. Let's go to that church. Honey, it's two and a half hours away on the Indian reservation. Well, let's get up and leave early. And to sit in an all Navajo church they'd never been, be- been to before. And to tell a man they've never ever seen we can't have a baby I'm looking at that guy and I'm thinking dang when we see our own need this is always the challenge in life when we can take our issues and present them before God when we can take our condition our lack, our difficulties, our struggles, and present them to Jesus Christ. When we finally realize this humbling truth, we can't do this alone. I think if I was the devil, what I would do to every Christian believer is give them all the human strength they needed. There have been times in my ministry, I have a strong personality. I don't know if you guys can tell yet. Sometimes I think I could win the devil to Jesus. But when I've seen God move the most is when I was willing to see my own need the most, to see my own deficiencies my own lack. When I begin to realize, you know what? In my pursuit pursuit to project a particular image, I am missing a supernatural dimension of God's ability. When we realize we can't do it alone, when we realize that God is the centerpiece of our life and He is all-powerful, the lesson that has to be learned, beloved, in the face of our personal need is that we can present this to our God and release in our lives a supernatural dimension. During that same era... (laughs) early days of Chin Lee, I used to have a orange juice habit. I don't have that anymore because orange juice is full of sugar. 
unnatural sugar. Anyway, when it didn't matter when I was younger and it didn't matter, I wanted some orange juice. So I scraped through the whole house to try to find enough money to buy orange juice. So I found $3 change. If I was honest, I stole some of the kids' change. I figured I'll pay it back. <laughs> Didn't break the piggy bank, but you should never fall asleep and not put the quarter in because then it's free game. Anyway, I scrounged up all the money. <laughs> and my wife said, oh, your youngest daughter needs those stupid little Playtex plastic wrappers that go in the bottle. And I said, no, man, I, I found this money. I'm going to go get orange juice. Well, we're out. What do you want to do? I don't know. That's mine. So we loaded up the kids in the car. We went to the grocery store in Chinley, Arizona. I gave her all the money. I said, here, go buy the stupid plastic bags. Dang, everything's got to be sterile. Everything's got to be clean. You know, in the early days, just took a bottle in their mouth, and they're good. <laughs> anyway, I got over it pretty quick. It started to rain, and I'm sitting there in the parking lot. It's raining. And uh, Sandra comes out, and she says, well, we only have 14 cents left. I didn't have enough free orange juice, but you'll be fine. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, we're driving on home, and I see something shining in the parking lot underneath the light in the rain. So if you're a man, you think, hey, man, a crescent wrench, a screwdriver, a tool, hallelujah. <laughs> so I told Sandra, can you see over there? Look at that thing twinkling. So I drove over there. <laughs> I get out of the car. And there's a perfect can of Donald Duck orange juice sitting upright <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> I picked it up. I showed it to my wife. She said, I don't believe it. And I lifted it up to heaven. And I worshipped God. I think this is simpler than we make it. Are you listening to me? I didn't come here to preach a whole bunch of orthodox stuff to you. Stuff that you've known for years. I came here to stir your faith again. To get you to know that there's a God who cares. And how does that play out in time? It's building the church in Chinle. And you don't get bank power out there. Y'all ought to come, you ought to do an outreach to Chinle one of these days. And uh, I just kept on charging and charging because we're, you know, we're getting things done. And my wife comes to me and she's sometimes the devil's advocate. She said, you have to stop building you're $10,000 in debt. For the res, that's like stupid money. So she said, what are you going to do? <laughs> I only thought about Colin Prescott for about one little second. 
and I did. I thought, well, maybe I could call Pastor Mitchell. I know he loves me. So anyway, <laughs> I knelt down in my office. I said, God, I cast this need upon thee. The very next service, $10,001 came in the offering. I want to tell you something. That does not happen in a Navajo church. It's never happened again. But I casted my cares upon the Lord because I remembered He cared about the orange juice. I remember He cared about the tennis shoes. I remember He cared about that family having a child. And God wants us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Jeremiah 29 and 13, You shall seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The simple truth that you have to carry out tonight is God cares about your life. I want to read the footprints in the sand now. And then we're going to pray. It says, One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there were one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life when I was suffering from anguish sorrow and defeat and lack. I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most difficult and trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. When I needed you the most, you have not been there for me. And the Lord replied, the times when you've seen only one set of footprints is the times when I was carrying you. Casting your cares upon the Lord creates a supernatural dimension. So what you have to decide tonight, because I know God wants to move on your behalf. I know God wants to show himself alive, a personal God, in your behalf. And I guarantee you, there's nothing more encouraging than when God responds to your personal need. This is not my first rodeo. There are people here today who you need a fresh touch of God. There are people here today, you need a fresh visitation of God's care and compassion 
upon your life where you're at right now. There's people sitting here today. You need the God of heaven to stand still for you. You need a supernatural dynamic. There really were times in my life I got tired of just obeying. Does that make sense? Day after day, just like, a, like an ever-ready bunny. There really are precious times in life where God wants to come down for you. I think of my daughters today. Last story and we'll pray. I pulled an altar call in my church for desolate cities. We haul water. My head usher doesn't even have electricity. So we know how to live in Nepal. We know how to live anywhere. You know, uh, the mayor of the town just got running water six months ago. So, you know, it's kind of interesting living out there. Most of us have those amenities, but it's interesting that it's not like normal America. Anyhow, I pulled an altar call for men and women that would go into the foreign field into places that are so far out of reach, Vietnam, Nepal, the depths of Africa, where there are no amenities. And I pulled the altar call, and I couldn't get one Navajo to respond. They said on that altar call, you ain't going, whatever, you go. <laughs> not one Navajo, not one. Hey, man, if we go anywhere, we're gonna, if we have to die in the ministry, we're dying in San Diego, whatever. We, we've lived here our whole life. You go reach those poor people. And then my three daughters stood up. Oh, listen to me. And they came to the altar and they're crying. And I'm thinking, why are they crying? So I get down there and I said, what are you doing down here? Go sit down. This is not for you. You already live in a desolate city. Sit down. You'll never believe what my girls told me. God will help us like we've seen Him help you. We'll go anywhere in the world. You know what you need to see tonight? You need to see God help you. You want generational evangelism? Let God, let your children see God help you. Sometimes our own pride is our worst enemy. It's not even about God resisting the proud. It's about the lack of understanding that just says, you know what, if I have a caring God, how do I tap into that? You just got to say the need and present it a humble and a contrite heart and see what God will do on your behalf. Tonight I want you to bow your heads.